Well, good afternoon. Um, we're going to go ahead and get started a couple of minutes early because we've got a lot to cover. My name is Bob Mason. I uh, work with an organization called Medical Strategic Network. We're best known for doing whole training in what uh, medical peer-reviewed literature calls whole person care. Uh, been doing this for more years than I'd like to remember. But uh, anyway, I am glad that you're here. Uh, thank you for being at this early session. I was afraid it was going to be my wife and I and a couple of paid friends to be here. So, so, so thank you. Uh, I don't have anything to disclose, so done with that. Okay, and then learning objectives. Identify an ethical basis for whole person care. Discuss the principles of taking a spiritual history and explain the guidelines for spiritual interventions of prayer and advanced spiritual interventions. So that is where we are going. My, uh, uh, I am married to Diana. My wife and I uh, celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary this past summer. Uh, we do have two children. Where are they? So... Um, that's my daughter, Alyssa, and my son, Jordan. If there are any pediatric people here in the room, tell everybody else around the table that a uh, funny thing about kids, if you uh, give them some food two or three times a week and you uh, make sure that they get water every day, they actually grow up. And uh, this picture was taken at one of my favorite places on Earth, a place called Coronado Island which is across the bay from San Diego. If you ever get out to the west coast where we live, uh, be sure and check out Coronado Island. Uh, my daughter on the far left is a registered nurse. Uh, she works in a telemetry unit in Southern California in a hospital about three miles from the beach. Today on the beach, I think it's about uh, 78 degrees and sunny in Southern California. She's married to a youth pastor, our son is holding uh, our grandson, Caleb. He and his wife serve with crew at uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. So a little bit about us and who we are and where we're from. April was a student in training. She was taking care of a student one, uh, not a student, a patient one night in a hospital. And it was one of these high demand patients where she was uh, in the room. She would do all the things medically that she was supposed to do. She would leave. 20, 30 minutes later, she was called back into the room. This started about 8, 9 o'clock in the evening, and this basically went on all night long. In the room, medical stuff, out of the room, 20, 30 minutes later, back. Um, and so April was, uh, it was probably about 3 a.m. Uh, she was back in the room with this patient. Not anything really major. Uh, patient was dealing with insomnia, panic attacks, and uh, after April did all the medical things that she was supposed to do, she uh, began asking this lady uh, some uh, spiritual history questions. Questions like, uh, uh, what keeps you going in a time like this? Uh, how has uh, this affected the way you see yourself? Um, has this, any of this been scary for you? And then uh, also, how has this changed the way that you think about God? And uh, these questions are designed to try to find out what is the patient's coping system, how is that working for them, is faith a part of that coping system, are there some spiritual needs there, does the patient recognize those needs, does the patient want to have those needs addressed. 
And so as she asked these questions, it became clear that faith was a part of this lady's makeup, that she did have a spiritual need. There seemed to be some openness in addressing that need. And uh, so April asked the lady, would it be helpful if I pray for you before I go back and start taking other patients, care of other patients? And the lady said, oh, gosh, would you please? So April said a very short prayer, nothing complex. And when she said amen, the patient was profusely appreciative of what she had done. And to fast forward about 10, 15 minutes, she was fast asleep for the first time all night long. Well, back in real time, April turns to lead the room, and somebody had come into the room. She didn't realize that, but it was the charge nurse. Now, if you have been a student in training, or you volunteered, or you work in a hospital, you know that the charge nurse rules that unit. And as a student in training, the charge nurse can even either be your best friend or perhaps your worst nightmare. And so April's professional life maybe flashed before her eyes, and she just sort of nodded at the charge nurse. The charge nurse nodded back, and she left the room, finished up, went home. She's back in working a couple of days later, and she felt a tap on her shoulder. She turned around, and there was that charge nurse. And the charge nurse said, hi. It's like, come here. I want to talk to you. Took April off into her room, shut the door, and said, I saw what you did with that patient last night. And April was like, yes, ma'am. Now, what I'd like you to do around your tables is I would like you to talk about what do you think the charge nurse is going to say, and what would you encourage April to say in response to what you think the charge nurse is going to say. All right? Got about 90 seconds. Ready? Go. All right, why don't we come back together? So what do you think? What is the charge nurse going to say? I've been working with healthcare students for a long time. If I don't see some hands go up, I will call on somebody. All right? So what do you think the charge nurse is going to say? How about you? What do you think the charge nurse is going to say? Okay. Okay, either or. Sort of like uh, it could go really good or it could go really bad. And if it went really bad, it might be something like that. You are taking advantage of a vulnerable patient. You are ignoring the power disparity between a healthcare professional and a vulnerable patient. You're imposing your own personal beliefs on this patient. You have no right to do that. What do you think you're doing? Or it might go really well. Well, if you come to Southern California, buy me dinner, I'll tell you the rest of the story one day. (laughs) But we will get back to that in a minute. One of the things I want to ask is taking a spiritual history and doing whole person care, is that good medicine for both the patient and the healthcare professional? Well, what do you think some other professional views are? Well, in one survey, the majority, that is 75% of survey physicians, agreed that religion and spirituality is important to patients for coping and for giving them a positive state of mind. In terms of patient practices and their own beliefs, 
Uh, Pew found out, I think this was done in, two, I think it was actually 2017, 71% of Americans claim to pray regularly. That is either daily or weekly. Surgical patients, in terms of their beliefs, in terms of their preferences, 83% agreed or strongly agreed that surgeons should be aware of their patients' religiosity and spirituality. 63% concurred that surgeons should take a spiritual history. And get this, 64% indicated that their trust in their surgeon would increase if they did so. Well, April was in the room with the charge nurse. The door was shut. There was nobody else in the room. I saw what you did with that patient last night. What was that? April began to try to explain what she had done. I had been involved in a training program for students in Southern California, learned about doing whole person care, and then the charge nurse interrupted her. But how is it you knew what that, that's what the patient needed? And April was a little startled by that. And again, she tried to explain what she had done and why. And then the charge nurse interrupted her again and said, did you see what happened? And April was like, what are you talking about? She said, well, before you started that religious stuff and praying, all of the levels of the patient were elevated. And as soon as you started praying, everything dropped back down into normal range. How is it you knew That's what the patient needed. Well, April again began to try to explain what she was doing, and the charge nurse interrupted her one last time and said, would you be willing to train everybody on our unit to do whatever it is that you did with that patient? And, of course, April was happy to do that. Teen preferences. Most teens wanted their provider to ask them about their spiritual beliefs during some visits, especially when dealing with death, dying, or chronic illness. A friend of mine, Dr. Harvey Elder, did medical school in Southern California, did residency in internal medicine at UCSF, followed that with a fellowship in infectious disease at Harvard, and then did a stint at the National Institutes of Health, went back to Southern California to practice, and was working in a VA hospital. It was 1983. He heard about this patient, this really strange case that nobody knew what to do with. And so he thought, you know, I ought to go by and see this. I might never in the rest of my medical practice get an opportunity to see whatever it is this guy has. And he walked into the room, and he saw this man lying in a bed, And the staff were talking about this strange condition that they were calling AIDS. They had never seen it before. Harvey talked to the patient. He talked to some of the attendings. He went on about his day, and he thought, wow, that's really interesting from a medical perspective. A few nights later, he was awakened at about 3 a.m., and he had this burning question in his mind. Harvey, if Jesus were an infectious disease physician in Southern California in 1983, what do you think he would be doing? And it became pretty clear to him the answer was he'd probably be taking care of AIDS patients. And that became his calling. Dr. Elder developed a reputation in the gay community in Southern California as being a compassionate Christ follower who not only cared about the labs and their records and their medication, but he cared about the whole person. And he sought to address the whole person as well, the emotional and spiritual 
And, and, and people would come from all over. He was practicing in San Bernardino County, which is about 60 miles due east of Los Angeles. And he had patients coming from Orange County, Los Angeles County. In fact, at this government-funded clinic, he had one – somebody showed up at the receptionist's desk one day, and he said, I hear you guys pray for patients here. And the receptionist said, yeah, we've got somebody that will do that. And he said, well, that's who I came to see. So whole person care can make a huge difference in populations that you might not expect it to be and make a difference. Patient satisfaction, which in the U.S. Is a hu- has always been important, but has become more focused now because the Affordable Care Act linked reimbursement with patient satisfaction. And the Journal of Internal Medicine found that patients who had discussions of religion and spiritual concerns were more likely to rate their care at the highest levels, regardless of whether they said or whether or not they had said they had desired such a discussion. Well, is faith, is that good medicine for patients? Well, there is increasing evidence to support the inclusion of spiritual factors as an important component in the assessment and the treatment of pain. Religiousness is related to significantly less depressive symptoms, better quality of life, less cognitive impairment, less perceived pain, and clinicians should consider taking a spiritual history and ensuring that spiritual needs are addressed among older patients in rehab settings, according to the Journal of Rehab Medicine. Now, this is huge. A study was done. Two-year longitudinal study was done with hospitalized patients. And if you had a hospitalized patient that wonders or asks one of these four questions, questions like they wonder whether God had abandoned them. I'm sick. I'm in the hospital. God must have abandoned me. Or they question God's love for them. Or they decided that their illness was due to the devil making this happen. Or... They felt punished by God for their lack of devotion, and thus they were sick, and thus they were in the hospital. If a patient dealt with one of these questions, they had a 16 to 28% higher mortality during a two-year period following hospital discharge. Now, does that happen? Yes, it happens in terms of patients dealing with that type of question. I was in Southern California this summer. I was training some medical students. We went into a major medical center, was visiting with a patient, walked in, introduced ourselves, explained who we are and what we were doing in terms of training these students in whole person care. And we began asking this lady some spiritual history questions. And the first question we asked her, how has your stay in the hospital been? And you know what she told us? Right off the bat. She said, I am here in the hospital because God is punishing me because I had an abortion like four years ago. Now, I am not a healthcare professional, but it was pretty clear to me that that lady's hospitalization had nothing to do with that abortion. Patients struggle with this. Patients wonder this. A friend of mine who is speaking at this conference tomorrow, Dr. Walt Larimore, says if you knew something that increased the likelihood of dying by 20%, would you intervene? If you're my healthcare professional, I hope you would. David Levy is a neurosurgeon, practiced in San Diego, 
was sitting in a dental chair one day, had a cavity. The dentist was uh, sneaking up on him with that uh, syringe of uh, whatever drug that dentists, you guys push into patients when you're about to, you know, drill in their teeth. And uh, Dr. Levy says that when it comes to injections, he thinks it is much more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so with an attitude like that, the dentist, who was a Christ follower, probably sensed that apprehension. And he said, Dr. Levy, before we begin this procedure, would it be helpful if I pray for you? And David was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Says a short prayer, gives him the shot, fills the tooth, sends him home. And on the way home, David has in his mind what I'm going to call like a God conversation. And it went something like this. So, what did you think of the dentist? Nice guy. How's your tooth feeling? Much better, thank you. And what did you think about him praying with you? Well, I thought that was good. Well, why don't you pray with your patients? Well, gee, God, everybody knows that neurosurgeons don't pray with their patients. I mean, what would they think? that I don't know what I'm doing or I'm not confident in my own skills or I'm afraid of the outcome? No, it's out of the question. Well, this conversation persisted. rest of the way home, came up a few times in the coming weeks. And there would actually be times that David would go to work and he had with the attitude like today, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll offer to pray with one of my patients. And then he would come home and be driving home. And he's like, oh, forgot. Well, one day he got up and, like, today's the day. I will not come home until I offer to pray with one of my patients. So he got to work, and he had his victim picked out. This was a uh, lady who was in, was going to do a minor procedure. And uh, his plan was, during the pre-op visit, to go into the room. Uh, after the nurse was gone, he was going to uh, offer to pray. So he goes into the room for the pre-op visit. The patient is there, her friend is there, and the nurse is there. And so he does what he's supposed to do, and he's sort of stalling and waiting for the nurse to leave. But the nurse doesn't leave. And he waits as much as he can to the point that the patient, her friend, and the nurse are all sort of like, what are you still doing here? So he leaves the room. He goes down to the nurse's station. He's waiting for the nurse to leave. The nurse leaves. He starts down the hall. He sees the anesthesiologist coming. He does an about face because there's no way he's going to do this in front of the anesthesiologist. The anesthesiologist leaves. The nurse isn't there. He swoops into the room. He mutters something about, would it be helpful if I pray for you? The, the, the patient and her friend are just sort of like, okay. And he says a short prayer. And when he's done, Both of these ladies have tears of appreciation streaming down their faces. And he's realized that he sort of created this emotional mess. And he said he did what he always did when he would create a mess, and that is he would leave and let the nurses come in and clean it up. He does the procedure. It goes well. And then afterwards, the friend comes up to him and says, Dr. Levy, thank you, thank you, thank you. You don't know how much that prayer meant to my friend and how much it meant to me as well. And he walked away from that thinking, you know, for a 30, 20, 30-second 30 intervention, 
That was pretty powerful. And that became a normal part of his practice. As a neurosurgeon, he would see a lot of people show up in his office with headaches, with backaches. And there are a lot of things he could have done. There are procedures, tests that he could have done, had the patient spend a lot of money. But somehow he stumbled on this idea of recognizing that it wasn't so much only a medical issue, but it was a spiritual issue as well. And he would begin asking patients, is there anybody you need to forgive? My mom. My ex-husband. That boss that I used to have. And he would offer to walk through a biblically-based pattern or prayer of forgiveness. And he actually began to see pretty good results from that. Dr. Levy has written a book entitled Gray Matter. A neurosurgeon discovers the power of prayer one patient at a time. It's actually a very good read. It has enough technical information to sort of keep you engaged professionally. But it also traces his own personal spiritual journey along with his journey of doing whole person care. The Joint Commission, organization within the United States that has taken it upon themselves to accredit hospitals. Every hospital in the U.S. needs to be accredited. It's not required, but you're not going to keep your doors open very well if you're not accredited by the Joint Commission. And the Joint Commission, among the many things that they stipulate a hospital needs to do, they say that the spirituality of patients should be respected, assessed, and attended to in ways that are important to them. Now, the Joint Commission doesn't stipulate how it's to be done or who it's to be done by. They just leave that up to the member institutions. But it's interesting to me that a secular body recognizes the value of whole person care. Now, that they recognize the value of whole person care certainly makes one's job easier if that's what you want to do. But that in and of itself does not make it ethical or unethical. So if you are in a location where the Joint Commission doesn't exist, doing whole person care, I hope I'm building a case, is an ethical and helpful thing to do. Well, if whole person care is a good thing to do, is it being done? Well, it would appear to me that if there was any patient population that whole person care would be done, it would be with advanced cancer patients. And some friends of mine at Harvard did a study with 230 patients, and they found that 72% of those patients said their spiritual needs were minimally or not at all supported by the medical system. Well, Bob, so what? Well, not only does it affect how patients react, but it can in some ways affect cost. Another study at Harvard found that end-of-life costs were higher when patients reported that their spiritual needs were inadequately supported. And you see the numbers there overall with minorities, with high religious copers. So one of the things, several things that we've done already, we've tried to show, I've tried to show that outcomes improve when whole person care is done. Patient satisfaction goes up. Cost go down. What more do you want? What more do you need to support the basis 
for doing whole person care and doing a spiritual history. Well, how do you go about doing whole person care? I've mentioned before a spiritual history. And the review, a spiritual history, is a series of questions that are designed to try to find out what is a patient's coping system, how is that coping system working for them, is faith a part of that coping system, are there some spiritual needs there, does the patient recognize those spiritual needs, is there a desire by the patient to have those spiritual needs addressed. Now, if I came to your clinic and I had a pain in my side, broad strokes, what would you do for me? What would you do? Physical exam, maybe? Yeah? Ask questions. Thank you very much. Anything else you might do? Do some blood work? Maybe some imaging? And if you reached over and you said, Bob, does this hurt? And you like poked me like right like that? And I doubled over in pain? Anybody want to guess what that might be? Appendicitis. Yeah. So you come up with your diagnosis. You're going to come up with a treatment plan. You're going to come up with a prognosis. You're probably going to want to do surgery. And then what are you going to need from me? Consent. You're exactly right. Now, before you get consent, and I rarely hear anybody talk about this, but it is implicit, I have to recognize that I have a need as well. Is that true? I mean, it's sort of given, you know. But if you were coming to ask that consent, and I looked at you and I said, Doc, I ain't having nobody cut on me. Do I still have a medical need? Yes. Do I recognize that medical need? Apparently not. And if I am a sane, competent adult, and there are people in this room that would dispute whether I am, (laughs) but if I am, you can't strap me down and yank out my appendix. Is that right? Right. Now, So let's say, okay, so you figure out it's appendicitis, and then you start looking at my foot, all right? And I hear you mutter something about amputation week at the med center. And then I hear you say something about you got to get your quota. What do you call that? What? Malpractice? Yeah. Exactly. Why? Because my foot likely has nothing to do with what I presented with. Fair enough? So when we start talking about doing whole person care, when we start talking about doing spiritual care, within the context of the healthcare setting, what I suggest and what I recommend is that whole person care, spiritual care, be done in the same way the same approach that medical care is done or dental care is done or PT or PA or whatever. And that is that it is done with permission. It is done with respect. It is done with sensitivity. And most importantly, in the context of the healthcare setting, 
It is done in response to a need that the patient recognizes. It's done in response to a need that the patient recognizes. It's not something that I have my own agenda. It's not something that I do this with all of my patients, whether they like it or not. It is patient-centered. It is patient-focused. I'm not coming in with my own set of objectives and agenda that maybe fit why my mission sent me or whatever, although that's important that you do. Give what I'm saying, where I'm coming from? It's interesting because Scripture sort of talks, has some really good guidelines in this area. Being done with permission and respect of the patient's autonomy, Peter himself said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Meet patients where they are. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Sensitivity to the Spirit. How is God leading? As you learn to recognize that God's voice, learn to respond to that. In a humility, much like Christ who came to serve, not to be served. I mentioned Dr. Elder earlier, um, the guy who saw his first AIDS patient in 1983. He does whole person care as well as anybody I know. And he had been doing this for a number of years, and he was uh, lecturing. It may have been in this room at this conference or another setting like this. And somebody asked him, they said, Dr. Elder, have you ever had any negative outcomes, negative responses to your doing whole person care? And at that time, he had probably been doing whole person care for about 15, 20 years. And he paused and he thought for a minute, and he said, In all my years, I can think of three negative responses or outcomes. He said, in each of those situations, I would always go back and try to find the patient and talk with them. Went back and I found one patient, and that patient actually apologized to me for the way that they had responded. The other patient that I found... um, We realized it was a misunderstanding, and we were able to work that out. And he said, I couldn't find the third patient. And then he paused, and he said, you know what? Come to think of it, I probably had more negative responses to using penicillin than I have using whole person care. But you know what? Still use penicillin. Taking a spiritual history, is it good medicine for the healthcare professional? Well, caring about the patient is what gives joy and fulfillment to the practice of medicine, and it's why I suspect that many of you in this room today chose this profession. Its absence, especially in this pressured healthcare environment, can rapidly lead to dissatisfaction, emotional exhaustion, and burnout. Practicing whole-person medicine is the best kind of care, both for those who receive it and maybe those who give it. And in a room this size with this many people, 
it's to the point now, it doesn't matter whether you're the first year of training or five years in or 30, 20, 40 years in. I meet so many people who are disillusioned with health care. They're tired. They're overwhelmed. They're frustrated. Their vision for why they first went into it has long gone. But I've met a few that as they learn about whole person care and they begin to implement it, their passion, their excitement, their desire to serve, not only humanity, but the risen Christ, almost becomes reignited. And there becomes a higher level of significance and meaning to uh, going to work every day or maybe staying on the mission field. And somebody at this conference who knows what they're talking about told me a few years ago that medical missionaries show up all the time that don't have a clue about what we're talking about today. I think that's tragic. My hope, my desire is that maybe as a result of this conference, as a result of this time, that won't happen to you. I mentioned the spiritual history. We've got some time, and what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to practice. I'd like you to pair up. That means one-on-one, not two-on-three or one-on-four. That's one-on-one, and I'd like you to role-play. One of you can be the patient, and one of you can be the healthcare professional. I will leave these questions up here. Some of you are saying, well, where would you get these questions? Well, We came up with some of them. Not we. Some colleagues of mine came up with them. Some of them come directly from the Joint Commission Guidelines. We borrowed a couple of one or two of them from some other um, um, spiritual histories. In fact, if you went on PubMed right now, in fact, I don't think I've got a dollar in my pocket, but if I did have a dollar in my pocket, I'd give you a dollar to go look at PubMed right now. You'll be surprised at how many hits you get if you type in spiritual history. But anyway, that's where these questions came from. Pair up, practice taking a spiritual history. All right? I'll give you about five minutes. Ready? Go. Okay, if I could interrupt, why don't you switch? You ask it. You just straight up ask it. And this, this, that might sound sort of weird, but I have found, and that's what I've done, even yeah. if they don't mention anything about God, I ask them that question, or I'll rephrase it. So where has God been in all of this? And if they do not believe in God, they straight up tell me. I have not had anybody, I have rarely had, I mean extremely rarely had anybody be offended by that question. They don't have any problems to say, oh, I'm not into that. So, we're going we're gonna to talk more about that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but good question. Yeah. Well, why don't we come back together?
We're going to have a little time for Q&A. We've got some other things I want to cover. But one of the questions that came up that often comes up is uh, but the, the question was, okay, I asked questions one, two, and three. I get to question four. There is nothing that the patient has said that says anything about God. They haven't mentioned God. They haven't mentioned faith. They haven't mentioned religion. How do I bring up God in question four? Now, on one level, you can figure out that yourself. But what I have found is regardless, even if they haven't said anything about God, I can ask that question. And a lot of times I'll rephrase it. I'll say something like, so where has God been in the, in the midst of all of, in, in all of this? And I have, I have not had anybody, I have, excuse me, I have rarely, like less than 1%, had people be offended by that question, even if they haven't mentioned God. And what they will do if they're not into God, they'll just tell me. They'll just say, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Okay. Yeah. So. All right. Um, I want to talk a little bit, and a question also came up. So, well, where do you go from question five? Now, remember, we talked about wanting to find out if faith is a part of their person's coping system and try to get some idea. And, and I am convinced that everybody's on a spiritual journey. Everybody. I haven't met anybody that's not on a spiritual journey. The question is, where are they in their spiritual journey? Are they even on the chart? Are they somewhere to the left? They're not even searching. Are they searching? Are they a mature Christian? Are they sort of using a metaphor, this thing of ripe fruit, sort of going with that harvest motif that you see in Scripture? And so one of the things that you're trying to do in taking a spiritual history is get some idea of where they are on that continuum. And based on where they are, might give you some idea of what you want to do next, either that visit or a future visit. So, if they are back on sort of the searching side, or maybe not on the searching side, or maybe they are a person of faith, one of the things that you might consider doing is asking this question. Would it be helpful to you if I prayed for you before I leave? Now, that's a little different than can I pray for you before I leave? You see the difference? If I say, can I do something? Can I pray for you before I leave? Whose agenda is that? That's my agenda. I want to do that. But if I say, would it be helpful to you? Whose agenda is that? It's a patient's agenda, right? All right. And then the question comes up, well, what do you pray? Well, maybe you could pray about some of the concerns that they've mentioned. They want, they're, they're concerned about getting back to work. They're concerned about getting paid. They're concerned about who's going to feed their pets while they're ill. Pray for the medical team. Pray for yourself. Well, do I pray for healing? I think so. We'll come back to that in a minute. Another thing I always try to pray for is pray that they would know God's presence and comfort. And a prayer might go something like this. You know, God, here with Mrs. Smith, 
or I'm here with Mr. Smith. And Mr. Smith, uh, really concerned about the team he left at work. And uh, I, I pray that you would meet that team's needs, that they would have direction even in his absence. I pray for the team that's working on it. Pray for myself, if I'm a healthcare professional, that you bring all our experience and wisdom and knowledge and training together to bear, to get to the bottom of this. And, and, and God, I know that Mr. Smith wants to get well. So, so, so we pray that, that he would get well. And regardless, I pray that he would know your presence, your comfort, and that you are available to walk with him through this journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I said, I pray for healing. Where do I get that? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Paul says, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, let your requests be made known to God. Interesting thing about this passage is it doesn't promise that you're going to get the answer you want. But what it does promise is that the peace of God would rule your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what it offers. So I don't have any trouble praying. You have to, you'll need to work that out yourself. I don't claim healing. I don't presume that healing is God's will. I just want to make our desires known. All right, let's suppose that you've got somebody, a patient that's on that continuum, on that spiritual journey scale, and they're sort of in the searching mode. Or maybe they consider God. Maybe they've thought about God. Maybe they've had conversations. Maybe they've gone to church. Maybe they've had friends that have talked to them. And they're sort of at that point in their spiritual journey that the next step is, yeah, I I want God in my life. I want forgiveness for the things I've done. I, I, I want this peace that you're talking about. To me, and you might not agree with this, but to me and a lot of others, we have found that that can be a great place to come alongside of them and offer another level of spiritual intervention, if you will, and that's sharing the gospel. And how do I get to that? I'll just say this. Many patients express a desire to know God better. Would you say that's true of you? Now, let me, let me tell you something. When I ask that question, that is a sincere question. I am looking to them. I am keen on them for their answer. This is not a question I use as a manipulative technique to talk about what I want to talk about. Not at all. And if they say no... Hey, that's good. Bob, you need appendix surgery. You want to do that? No. Don't have patient consent. I'm going to respect the patient's autonomy. I am not going to force anything on them. But if they say yes, say something like this. When patients tell me that they'd like to know God better, I sometimes take a few more minutes to explain how one can connect with God in a more meaningful way. 
I do that by reading through a four-point outline that explains from a biblical Christian perspective how one might have a more personal relationship with God. It takes about three minutes, ten minutes, whatever. Would it be helpful to you to read through this information together? And again, that's a straight-up question. I am queuing on them. I am respecting their autonomy. I will not go against their wishes. I am offering to meet a need that they have maybe self-identified and expressed in that earlier question. There are different ways in the clinical setting that you can share or go through the gospel. One is, whatever you're comfortable with, have a Bible on your phone and point out some key verses that explain the gospel. Another is maybe a printed booklet, such as uh, Bridge to Life. I think that's a navigator tool. Billy Graham Ministry uses, uh, I think, Steps to Peace with God. Crew has a little booklet entitled, uh, Would You Like to Know God Personally? Those are all very useful and effective tools. There's another one, that little card there. That's sort of like a diagram of Romans 6.23 that sort of walks through the gospel. Some people call it single verse evangelism. You can draw it out on a card. Or as the saline grace prescription course used to do, they would talk about just using the paper on the exam table, you know, that you pull out and you tear off, get a big Sharpie, and, man, they're, like, going at it, you know, like big size. And then they would tear it off, fold it up, the patient could take it home. Another really cool tool that's come out probably about three or four years ago, this is a free download, Android and iPhone, it's an it's a, a, a app called God Tools, and it has different ways that you can present the gospel. You can have patients download it. It's got questions on there, etc. Look, I don't care what method you use. Just find a method that is biblically based, learn it, get comfortable with it, and use it. And I have seen time and time again People being able to come alongside patients, meet a spiritual need in the clinical setting, and see patients come to Christ. Not every day, not every patient, all based upon patient need. All right? Before I get into that conversation, I'll make a statement like this. If you get tired, uncomfortable, you want to stop this conversation at any time, you you let me know. And then, as I'm having that conversation, I might check with them again. You doing okay? You want to keep going? You getting tired? You want to stop? I want to constantly have control in the hands of the patient. Follow up. Well, gosh, Bob, if I lead somebody to Christ, I need to follow them up. That would be great if you can, but sometimes you can't. In the U.S., there are a couple of tools that are really helpful. If it's somebody who is searching, there's a website on the left. It's everyperson.com. It has great articles. You can actually connect with a live person via email or chat or something like that via that site. Somebody can go on that site and begin to continue their searching journey. The one on the right is uh, entitled startingwithgod.com. This is a great site, great resource for people who have recently come to faith or want to start growing in their faith at a a core basic level. 
Again, articles, Bible studies, follow-up information, Q&A format, and then an opportunity to connect with a live person if somebody so desires. Interest in the relationship between spirituality, religion, and clinical care has increased in the last 15 years, but clinicians need more concrete guidance about this topic. This is from the peer-reviewed medical journal CHEST. And with that citation, I use it as a shameless way to plug some of the things that we offer in training, and I do this with permission of the conference. Medical Strategic Network offers several training opportunities, a training professional training conference. We offer CME, CEU, different locations around the country. For undergrad students, we do a one-week mission in Southern California. It sort of gives an on-ramp to how does whole person care work and what does that look like. For students who are in med school, nursing school, dental school, professional training, we do a five-week summer preceptorship, probably the best thing that we do have you shadowing clinicians who are doing whole person care in a major medical center several times a week interacting with patients. Ongoing training, spiritual development, and since we're in California, we have fun. We like go to the beach, go to the mountains, go to the desert, and we have fun. There are people right over here that have done that, so talk to them afterwards. Uh, SIM approached us a few years ago about doing a combo thing where students could do the preceptorship, they, the preceptorship leaves, go get on a plane at LAX and go work in some medical missions in uh, Africa. So that's worked out really well, excited about that. In elective rotations, if you're in training, we'd be happy to facilitate those with like-minded Christ followers who are doing whole person care. So questions, comments, rebuttal, pushback, anything at all? Yes. 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 Right. You know, I, I think some of these questions and, 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 and maybe even you coming up as you get into your practice and learn about your, your patients and about the things that you see coming up with your own questions. And uh, uh, but uh, you have 40 minutes. A lot of other people in this room only have five minutes or 15 minutes. And so sometimes it's sort of a step at a time. Sometimes it might just be praying with a patient. Sometimes uh, when things are important, when things are important and things come up unexpected in your day medically, guess what? You make time to deal with those. And there might be some times in hope, doing whole person care, if it's important. And I hope that I have shown that what we're talking about, we're not bringing something out of left field that has no relevance to patient well-being and patient outcomes anyway. This could make a difference. You know, I had one clinician go in and seeing a patient, it's like, he's not taking his medicine. The nurse was like, and so walked in and, yeah, I hear you're not taking it. I heard the nurse not happy with you. You know, and, uh, and, and so he begins asking some spiritual history questions. Guess what? He finds out that this patient three days ago signed the adoption papers for his three kids. Signed away parental rights for his three kids. And then you know what he said? 
He said, I sit alone at the dining table with three empty chairs. Why is he not taking his medicine? Do you think any lecture about how fast he's going to die or not recover or his life, you think it's going to do any good? If you don't deal with that? So some, it's relevant. So figure it, figure it out. And sometimes people, it might be scheduling another conversation. Next visit. I want to schedule a little bit more time because I want us to have some time to talk about this. I know others that would say it's, it's like in the middle of the afternoon. I'm busy. I need to finish up. If you have time, I am willing to stick around after everybody's gone or after we see all the patients and come back and spend a little bit of time talking to you. I'm not saying you have to do that. Those are just different options. So, great question. Other questions? Yes? Yeah, I, I, I think if they are, 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 if they understand the gospel, reminding of them, them of that, reminding of God's forgiveness, reminding them the basis of God's forgiveness is Christ's death on the cross. It's not anything that they've done, anything that they've earned. They don't earn God's per, uh, acceptance or love through performance or approval. It's because of what Christ has done. I think just a simple prayer can 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 be huge. And another thing, as you begin to do that, if, you, if this is a patient or they're hospitalized and you've seen them for a long time, and they're, they're a Christian, they might end up praying for you one day. I've had a lot of healthcare professionals tell me, you know, my patient prayed for me. And they were probably blessed by that. I mean, your patients, they look up to you guys. They really respect that. And to finally have an opportunity to come alongside of you and serve you can be hugely encouraging. Yeah, good question. Others? Yes? So you were talking about how, like, uh, physical symptoms can be linked to unforgiveness. Yes. And, you know, asking them, is there anyone that you need to forgive? What were some, like, follow-up questions after that? You know, you probably need to get David's book and read it. And find it. <laughs> I, I don't remember the specifics. He had a little, a little thing, but, but a lot of it had to do with, I think, just walking them through a prayer. It took maybe about three or four minutes, and I, some of the elements I remember are things like uh, I, re, I, I release all you know, opportunity to hold a grudge. I recognize that's up to you to deal with that. I relinquish any uh, expectations for satisfaction, um, but but I, I, I'm a little fuzzy on that, honestly, in terms of specifics. So, yeah. Other questions? Yes, sir. Yes. I have to be honest, I'm not the best one for that, to, to, to answer that. I do know somebody that is in that part of the world, and that individual says that, you know what? When I see my patient, I get to see him with the door shut. 
and I get to have private conversations with them. And that's when things get real, and that's when I'm able to share more of who I am and things that I have found that work. And, and that person, that individual went on to say, I found that people have a lot of questions, and I've got a lot of answers. Now, that is anecdotal. Don't hear me saying that's the way to do it, but that's how one person has done it. And, um, but part of that is figuring out your own situation. And there are probably people at this conference here who are a lot more qualified to speak to that than I am. Yes, sir. Yes. Do you have any tips? Like, because you're working so much through the parents. Right. So anything, I mean, I know you're treating the kid. I just wonder if I, yeah, how that works. Well, well two things I, I, I know about Pete's. Uh, those types of conversations, like anything else, you need the permission of the parent, guardian. I also understand that sometimes pediatricians, especially from middle to, to junior high, high school kids, uh, they have better conversations with the kid when, when, when mom's out of the room. And that's all with mom's approval and recognition and, and all of that stuff. So that's an opportunity. Um, on the other ped side, uh, some of the pediatricians that I know, uh, they feel like their, their, their opportunity for whole person care comes more with the parents or the family members than it does the kid, especially if the kid's younger. So in some ways... In peds, your potential and, 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 and your patient pool is maybe larger than in other specialties. So I think there are opportunities uh, to, to come alongside both the patient and the parent or the guardian. Yeah. Back here. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for... Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate the question was, uh, you know, um, I, I, there's an expectation or there's an opportunity to refer to hospital chaplain services or religious services or things like that. I suspect that if you're a healthcare professional and you're doing referrals for medical issues, you're going to want to have some idea of who that person is that you're referring to. You're going to want to have some idea of, you know, you probably don't want to refer somebody to a physician who's got a long list of uh, grievances or maybe disciplinary actions. Uh, You probably don't want to use that person. But my point is that I suspect and I hope that you're going to, if you're going to refer me to somebody, you know something about that person. You know about their, their, their professional competence. You know something about how they treat patients. Uh, hopefully you're not going to send me to somebody who is going to send me to collections if I'm 18 hours late on my payment. Uh, and, and, and so you're, you, it, I think it's wise to get to know what they're going to get when you refer them to that person. And I think the same applies to hospital chaplains or religious departments or whatever within the healthcare system. So get to know the people that work there. Get to know their approach to spiritual care. Get to know their belief system. 
And you do that by just talking to them. And your situation might be a little bit different based on what you're saying, but I would want to have some idea of what they're going to get if I refer them to that particular thing. And, and if, I, if I think that will be helpful to my patient, okay. If I have some concerns for whatever reason, I'm going to take that into consideration. Does that help? So, great question, important question. Anything else? Yes? So, as medical students working under the supervision of a physician, yes. do you feel we should ask specific permission to apply whole person care and frame the patients? And if so, what tips do you have for that conversation? Yeah, I, I, I think, um, uh, again, it sounds like I might be punning a lot, and I am. Uh, I think you might have to figure some of that out yourself. I can tell you that others, other students, especially third-year students, have told me that as a third-year student, they're the ones who have the most time with the pa- more time with the patient than anybody else. And in some ways, the team is relying on them to figure out stuff or know things about the patient that nobody else has had time to figure out. And I told the story about the guy who just signed adoption papers, wouldn't take, take his medicine. There was a medical student in Southern California. That won the situation, but it was a situation. They weren't taking their meds, and it was because of something going on in, in, in their life. And this student, third-year medical student, asked some spiritual history questions, figured that out, was dealing, I mean, they were on, on rounds one day, and the whole team was talking about it, and the med student said, oh, well, that's because of such and such and such and such. And they were like, how did you know that? And he said, well, I asked. And that, w- that bit of information ended up being critical to an accurate diagnosis of what was going on with that patient. So uh, another medical student that I knew was doing some spiritual history questions, maybe prayed with a patient in an attending challenge. And I'm like, what are you doing? And, and the med student said, um, I'm just complying with Joint Commission guidelines. <laughs> now, I don't know if he said this. It makes for a good story. But he may, and I like to sort of think, he may have looked at the attending and said, and why aren't you? I wouldn't recommend that as a strategy for successful navigation through med school. But I think there is some latitude there. I think there is some opportunity. And you could take these slides. I'll upload them. If I don't upload them, email me, and I'll, I'll send them to you. Or you can do your own work. Put together a little ethical basis for why you would do that type of thing. And, and be ready to, like Paul said, to give a defense. So, so yeah. But, but I think it is defensible. And, again, we're not talking about bringing something out of the left field that has no relevance whatsoever. Okay, we're over, but anybody else? No. All right, I'll be around for a few minutes. would love to talk to you. And um, I've got information if anybody wants anything for some of the stuff I mentioned.